Hello, heroes and heroines, sidekicks and supervillains. Welcome to Panel Pictures, a podcast talking about the relationship between comic books and comic book movies. I'm your friendly neighborhood, Zach, and across from me here at this table is probably the closest thing we'll get to Larfleys, at least in this universe, Cody McKinney. Cody, how are you today? Orange. <laughs> Very orange. Cody and I are good friends going back from college, and uh, one thing that we've always enjoyed uh, with each other is talking about comic book films because Cody and I... We often have similar opinions on things, but we also have uh, sometimes polarizing opinions on certain aspects of comic books and comic book movies. And what I thought would be interesting was to make a podcast with Cody because Cody is not as you're not as invested uh, comic book wise. That's not to say you don't read comic books, but it's just like you don't devour everything. I, I don't have a thousand issue plus comic book collection. It is well over a thousand issues. No, Mr. I. Uh, uh, but yeah, I mean, you you weren't like reading all the source material and doing research before a movie. You were just dropping on in. And... Yeah, exactly. Like I, I would only end up doing research post movie unless it was something I had some sort of previous knowledge of. Absolutely, yeah. Through some sort of like animated media or something like that. But, yeah. Like, I, a lot of the time, there's no like, I I know enough because I live on the internet most of the time. But like, I'm not like reading. <laughs> like Captain America issue 72 and being like, oh, I totally get the the small, small reference. Yeah, the yeah. small minute reference they made to that comic right there. Right. Whereas I'm on the other side, right? Uh, I love seeing all the different Easter eggs. I love seeing the references to things. Uh, I like seeing it all kind of come together uh, in a movie or in a TV series or something like that. What we're aiming to do with this podcast is we can talk about literally anything comic book wise uh as long as there's a you know connection to a film or a tv series or you know something like or even an animated movie you know something like that if um, there is a panel that has become a picture ex- essentially yeah right so i mean we're not going to be limited to just marvel and dc films we can do you know independent films independent comic films you know something like kick ass or hellboy or ninja turtles or something like that uh we can also move into you know kind of that crossover between like the video game comic movies you know <laughs> i i won i one of these days i want to talk about street fighter the movie and how terrible that is or mortal uh, kombat or mortal or kombat well, you know. I, well does mortal kombat have mortal a comic, kombat though? did have comics all right so, so yeah, yeah it's it's got several so i mean we can talk about the you know the lack of connections between comic book and film or we can talk about how you know thin the connection would be between a comic book and a film or a comic book and a game and a film you know i just think it's 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 interesting to see you know something that you've read become real life you know i i was surprised by this you know obviously when it all started like when book films started becoming really popular we started yeah. getting like harry potter and things like that uh lord of the rings etc you know comic books obviously were the next big jump uh for this and that's not to say that you know comic book movies didn't come before you know harry potter and lord of the rings and all that stuff oh, i yeah, would I just mean, say they're... that harry potter and those kind of things kind of made a, a big boom like a kick exactly i mean they've been making comic movies since i'm the well, I, I guess the first major one is the like the original Superman movie back in the seventies. Yeah, like that's the one that gets you like in the door because I can't think because there I and mean, there were obviously television shows of superheroes before that. Right. But I mean, there was you know there was a you know Batman sixty six. Yeah, there's the, Batman sixty six and that the, kind of stuff. The but, original Superman series that came before that. Yeah, so. absolutely. And, but like you have to think of what was the most um, accessible, you know, out of all those out of all those different series and films and what really kicked it all off. But anyway, we're here today to talk about the the keystone, the starting point for the Marvel Cinematic Universe, 
Iron Man. And before we start going into the film itself, I wanted to ask you, Cody, what was your experience with the character of Iron Man prior to this film? Uh, I'd seen him, and I knew he was a thing, and that's about it. And that was it, right? So you didn't, so you didn't know about Iron Man at all. Prior I didn't know to this who movie. Tony Stark was. I didn't, I didn't even know like what Iron Man did. Like I just knew he was a metal man who was yellow and red, and occasionally hung out with Wolverine and Captain America right. and Spider Man and okay. people I actually knew about. Right. Um. So that's really interesting because with me, Iron Man was like, he was almost like a myth around my my group of friends in my school and everything. Because, um, did you ever see the Iron Man cartoon like on Fox Kids? No. So there was a two season Iron Man cartoon. And uh, I think it was from the second season on. There was a really dope intro song to it. And it was like, I am Iron Man. Something like that. You know, it was really, okay. really cool. Yeah, I like, all right. I mean, cool, cool, it. cool for 90s cartoon intro standards, right? It wasn't as dope as like the X-Men, the X-Men intro or the Spider-Man intro. <laughs> yeah. But it was, it, I still liked it, right? So I watched this cartoon. I see Tony Stark. And what really got me was he was able to lay down a suitcase, step on top of it, and then the Iron Man suit came out of the suitcase. Something they do in later films. Exactly, exactly. And so I was, like, fascinated with this guy, but I didn't have access to a comic book store at the time because I'm really little, right? My parents aren't going to take me to comic book stores. Yeah. And so I, I I, devoured what little Iron Man I could get, you know, by going to, like, pharmacies and Walmarts and stuff like that. Any, the comic any place you rack. could find, like, a rack of comics exactly. to pick up. exactly. Um, but my friends did not believe at the time, like going going to recess and going after school and all that stuff, my friends didn't believe at the time that Iron Man was a thing. I was telling, because apparently Iron Man didn't do so hot on Fox Kids, right? And apparently a lot of my friends didn't see the cartoon. And so when I was telling them about this Marvel superhero that wore this suit, like he stepped on a suitcase and the suit came over him and he basically became like a robot, right? None of my friends believed he actually existed. So you were the kid whose uncle worked at Nintendo. Exactly. Exactly. Everyone thought I was, like, making crap up. They thought that I was making up Iron Man. And I was, like, very insistent. I was like, no, he's real. Like, he's a real superhero. And it wasn't until I – because I, I eventually, like, stopped talking about him, right? Because people thought I was lying. And yeah. I didn't want to be labeled as a liar as a kid. It wasn't until I, like, hung out with my good friends Cullen and Will Diebold. They're both brothers. Uh, they had a Super Nintendo Avengers game. Okay. And, and Iron um, Man was in it. <laughs> and Iron Man was in it. And this game is not the best. It was it was a side scrolling beat 'em up. Yeah. And um, like Turtles in Time. Yeah, but much it wasn't as good. Um, but like you, you you start out and you start boot up the game and it's like the Avengers and like your roster, you had Cap, you had Captain America, yeah, and you had Iron Man, and those were the two guys to pull you in, right? Your other two characters though were Hawkeye and Vision. All right. Yeah, right? And, you're like, and so, like, of course, as a kid, I'm like, who the hell is Hawkeye and Vision? Who are these guys? You know, and now these are staple characters. Yeah. yeah. But, like, outside of that cartoon, the the spattering of comics that I, you know, uh, was able to obtain as a kid, and then the, the Avengers video game on Super Nintendo, there wasn't much for me as far as Iron Man goes, right? Yeah. So let's fast forward, okay, to 2008 when the Iron Man film comes out, right? I, I'm starting to hear rumors and speculations on the internet. And you're getting uh, excited. Yeah, and, and I'm like, what? An Iron Man movie? And 
I'm getting all pumped because I'm like, this is it. This is when people are going to realize I wasn't crazy the whole time. You felt vindicated <laughs> I because... I ultra vindicated because there was an Iron Man Meanwhile, film. rational humans are watching Dark Knight and they're like, oh, this is a really good Batman movie. Exactly. Batman's a legitimate superhero that I really like. <laughs> So, oh, Heath Ledger's really cool as the Joker. So you have to realize that this movie has a special place for me because, like, it lets me know that, like, I wasn't... I knew I wasn't crazy, but... <laughs> you knew Iron Man existed. I knew Iron Man existed. But, like, no one else believed me, you know, out of my group of friends for the longest time. That is a tremendously unique stance to have about a superhero. It is. It really is. So, Iron Man comes out. The film comes out. Um, I went to go see this with my grandparents, and we had a Korean exchange student staying with us uh, for the year yeah. at the time. Uh, his name was his English name was Gerard. Uh, Gerard loved it. He was super into tech and sci-fi and everything, and so when he got done with the film, he was just blown away. He loved it. I loved it because this character <laughs> that I... They brought him to life. Yeah, they brought this character to life in such a great way, and uh, I, I was so ecstatic about it because I was sitting here, and I'm like, this is it. This is like... This is the new age of superheroes. Like, if we can bring someone vague like Iron Man to the big screen... Super vague, by the way. Super vague. Like, I mean... I don't want to cut you off. No, go but for it. Go for I it. I mean, all right. Like I said, I had a knowledge that Iron Man was a person, but I literally only knew he was a character because, like, I had like some friends like on the bus who would have like old comics or like old action figures and stuff, and they just yeah. carry around in a backpack. Yeah. And like, I it's literally just a character I saw, and I was like, oh, that's kind of lame looking. But like, the reason it was kind of <laughs> lame looking is because you take like a crappy early 2000s action figure of Iron Man and take it next to, like, an early 2000s action figure of Wolverine or Spider-Man. Yeah. Or somebody like that. And, like, you like you literally can just... They're more appealing-looking characters. Because they, they are. I, like, Iron Man, before the Iron Man movie, is really lame-looking. Well, I, and what's also really funny about this is they actually had to do... This, this film took 17 years to make. Um, Did not know that. Yeah, so they they kept trying to make like a low budget version of it. Yeah. So um, so I think it was Paramount at the time. Uh, I I may be wrong. You guys can correct me out there if you if if I'm wrong. And th- but Paramount wanted to keep the rights to the Iron Man character. It was either yeah, because, Paramount or Universal. Because it was like the late '90s when like Marvel just sold everything because exactly. they didn't think anything was worth anything. Exactly. So they kept trying to make like a low budget film. Uh, to keep the rights, like what they did with the Fantastic, well, like what Fox did with Fantastic, yeah, Four, which and that unaired uh, Fantastic Four. Movie. Oh, I thought you were talking about like the the one they made, like well, the, uh, that's the same. It's the same example, right? They, they yeah, and you, you have to rights. make something to keep the rights. Exactly, exactly. So Iron Man was in this kind of like development hell for a while, yeah. Right? Um, and then eventually Marvel, you know, breaks out. They they make their own studio, yeah, you know, get film John studio. Favreau. <laughs> Yeah, they get John Favreau to make this film. John Favreau actually celebrated getting to direct the film. He lost seventy pounds, uh, so he could put himself in the movie. Yeah, and got in screen shape. We are jumping a little bit ahead here, but I didn't know that Happy Hogan in the movie oh, was, the was John was the director at the time. Um, and I didn't know that literally until like last night, <laughs> because well, wait, so you're kidding? I'm not. I'm not. 
I didn't know because I'm not big on directors. Oh, okay. like I don't know. Absor- see, like that's that's where like we literally like yeah. we'll hit that wall. Like movie wall starts over here on my side of the table. Yeah. Comic wall starts on your side of the table. Exactly, so. exactly. I I don't absorb movie trivia until I start getting it like excited about a movie. Yeah. Um, and then and for me, movie trivia tri- trivia includes actors and and directors and things like that. Like I just I I watch a movie. And I enjoy it for what it is, right? Yeah, and you're not later, sitting at home watching all the trailers, exactly. and finding out whatever what all other movies they did, so you can watch them to know what you're expecting exactly. out of the movie they're exactly. directing. Later, though, I'll look it up just to be in, you know, just to just, yeah. I'll, oh, that's interesting, you know, yeah. for me. But like, but anyway, going back, so I didn't know John Favreau was the director. I didn't know Happy Hogan was the director, right? And I didn't know that it was such a big deal for him that he decided to lose seventy pounds, um, which was great. That's really cool. But we get we get to this first very important film for Marvel Cinematic Universe. This is really, uh, you know, Batman and Superman were always easily put into film. Yeah, Um, because everybody knows who they are. Exactly. And also, I think these are characters that you can kind of easily mold into what is going on at the for the time like as far as like what is the the landscape for movies at the time right yeah. because you know Keaton's Batman worked really well yeah in um, 89 then and then get, like, even this... even even Schumacher's like weird ass Batman movies people like now critics did like panned the movie they were yeah. like this is awful right but you know, it sold the idea of Batman to people. I mean, ba- Batman does not die until George Clooney, and yeah, that, right. Oh, and the bat nipples, and like, I mean, but but then <laughs> then you take a short break from Batman until, and then you go back to Dark Knight, right? Yeah, and which then is two thousand six cool. as Batman Begins, right? I believe you're right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and and so that's when, I mean that that's. That proves that you can keep selling the idea of Batman to people, right? And Superman is in that same vein. You can keep selling the idea of Superman to people, right? But Iron Man, like you said, is such an unknown character. He's such a he's such a small known character. You can't keep redoing Iron Man. Right? Two thousand five is Batman Begins. Two thousand five. Okay, cool. See, that's another thing. Like trivia dates. I'm just yeah. I'm like I think I saw that in middle school. I can't you know whatever. Yeah. Well, like, I I knew it, like cause, like I didn't see uh, Dark Knight until I think i was in freshman year of high school i think i was yeah. either, either freshman year or eighth grade something like that so i was like i know batman begins came out when i was it was a kid yeah i was i so, was a freshman in high school when yeah. i saw it so um but yeah so this is marvel's chance to take a lesser known hero put him in the spotlight uh and really make him noticeable right and they knocked it out of the park yeah which i you know they did have like the small advantage of several okay superhero movies beforehand, though. I mean, you have the Spider-Man trilogy, you have the X-Men trilogy, you right? Have right. The the but two see, those Fantastic are, Four movies, which see, aren't made by the same studio. Exactly. So those are those are you know like Fox and Sony respectively, right? But, but people know the Marvel name because those because movies of those movies existed, right? But like I think those kinds of uh, if you didn't take a character or a set of characters that was well known, like you think about the the Daredevil movie, right? Yeah, it didn't do so hot. And no. and that was because you know they were like oh, oh and well, the Hulk movies and the Hulk movies we'll yeah. get to that later right um it, it, you take these characters that are lesser known and if you don't treat them well if you don't make them like if you don't forge their identity and and really shape them out well right people aren't gonna care yeah right and so that's why I, I, that's why I think Guardians of the Galaxy worked so well because you know. Initially, when I saw that they were doing a movie about Guardians of the Galaxy, even me as a comic book fan, I was like, really? 
Yeah. Really? Well, well, yeah, because Guardians of the like, Galaxy? I, and I've always joked that that was literally a book that was propping up somebody's desk at the Marvel Studios. Like right. some like they had a wobbly desk and they were just like, What 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 this book is that's been keeping my desk? <laughs> they like, pull it out and they're wobbly. like they're like, What's this trade? And they're like, Guardians of the Galaxy. What is a Guardian of the Galaxy? Exactly. And they're not even the original Guardians of the Galaxy. No. They're the O eight team or whatever. Yeah. Um But, you know, it's it's a. Uh, it's very interesting to see care put into a lesser known character and, and, and something like that is now staple, you know, yeah, uh, I mean, in, like in everybody, culture. everyone who, knows Iron Man now. Yeah, exactly. And everyone knows I'm not crazy. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, so it's, 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 this is the, this is the beginning of that, right? Yeah. This is the beginning of that. Um, so let's go ahead and dive into the plot. Um, we'll kind of go through the whole plot of the movie, talk about our favorite moments. Uh, interesting. I, I've got little interesting factoids and trivia bits here um, as we move along. And we can talk about, you know, what scenes worked for us, what scenes maybe didn't work for us so well. Uh, interesting shots and takes. Uh, great lines, you know. And we're going to do this, I think, with every film that we examine what, oh, what is oh, it man no you know you know what line i'm gonna i mean i i've got a couple here oh. i don't i don't know so all right so anyway so we've got iron man this came out in 2008 uh it stars robert Downey jr as tony stark slash iron man we have gwyneth paltrow as pepper potts we have the director john favreau <laughs> as happy hogan uh we have um uh, jeff bridges as obadiah stain slash iron monger who yeah. is going to be the, the villain and um, who we'll talk about here in a little bit, which I think was actually a really good choice for this, like, entry point, you know, because if – well, we'll talk about it. We'll talk about it. So, anyway, um, first thing I want to actually present with you – yeah, go you for it. Who, who you, you forgot one. You forgot Terrence Howard. Ter- well, as... I was going to talk about – Oh, okay. I, yeah, I've got him in my notes here. I was going to talk about Terrence Howard. Um, and I'm also going to talk about um, uh, Sean Tobe. Tobe, excuse me, who is uh, Yinsen's actor. Yeah. So. so one uh, thing I wanted to really like set forth here before we start with Iron Man, uh, what I thought was interesting was that the script actually was not finished for this film before they started filming. Yeah. And I didn't know that. So they let Robert Downey Jr. improvise a lot of <laughs> yeah, lines. Yeah, just let him go. They, get, let, they let him do just a bunch of different takes. And I thought that was really interesting. But what also was really interesting was apparently Gwyneth Paltrow – and uh, Jeff Bridges and a lot of these other actors, um, they were not okay with the improv- improvisation. They uh, and it's not that they were mad or whatever; they just didn't know how to handle it, right? Yeah. And well, so it took them a lot of adjusting to get used to the improvisation of a lot of these lines and a lot of these scenes. Another thing you got to take into account, though, is the Robert Downey Jr. that you get at the beginning of this movie is not the Robert Downey Jr. that you and I know right, right now. Like this is the. Woke up in a stranger's house, Robert Downey Jr. Like, they're taking a chance on this dude who has fucked up his entire life. Well, let's see. And so, like, and that's I, that's the other thing I wanted to talk about later. Um, but we can go ahead and talk about it now. John Favreau had to fight to get Robert Downey Jr. Because they wanted Tom Cruise. They, yeah, they wanted Tom Cruise and some other folks. Um, well, actually, I think Tom Cruise might have actually debunked that. I don't know. No, remember. like, I... Oh, did, did Yeah, he? like, okay. I looked it up last night before okay. we... Um, I see, I remember in the back of my head, like maybe in an article about Tom Cruise saying like I was never offered Iron Man, but anyway, so John Favreau had to actually really, really fight for Robert Downey Jr. And it works so well that Robert Downey Jr. plays Tony Stark because Tony Stark deals with a lot of issues like with alcoholism, with his legacy, with turning his life around, right? Yeah. As did Robert Downey Jr. 
And uh, there's actually going to be a really interesting little factoid talking about the point where he try, like decides to turn around his life, and that plays a small role in the film, which I didn't know. But it works so well because Robert Downey Jr. is like the ultimate comeback story now. Yeah. I mean, this guy is having like kids come over to his house for screenings of Iron Man. He's giving away stuff all the time. Um, I don't know if you've seen where the guy is like 3D printing prosthetic arms for free uh, for people. Oh, no, I haven't seen and that. And was really cool. Robert Downey Jr. comes and he's like, he's got his like thick shades on, you know, or whatever. And there's the kid who's getting his, getting his new prosthetic that day. And he opens up his suitcase and he's like, uh, I'm here to deliver your new prosthetic arm. And he's like, I was hoping you and I could like compare our tech. And he pulls out like an Iron Man prop arm. Yeah. And he's like, so this is mine. Uh, let's go ahead and see yours. And the kid wanted a red and yellow arm so he would look like Iron Man. And eventually the kid's like, hey. And they're like, do you know who that is? And he goes, Starts. and he goes, Robert. <laughs> so he takes his shades off and, you know, Robert's like hugging the kid. And he's like telling the dude who 3D prints the arms like, you know, this is great. This is a... Like, a, it's not only in film, like, a great comeback story, right? But in real life, like, we have created, you know, a great superhero. Yeah. You know, by by giving Robert Downey Jr. the second chance. Like, he has done so much good now for the world, given this second chance, given the chance to turn his life around. And that's why, you know, when people talk about recasting Iron Man in the future, like, when we get to Phase 4, and God forbid if we ever get to Phase 5, you know, of oh, Marvel films. You know we will. Right, but anyway, they talk about recasting Iron Man. I I don't want that. Like, I understand if Robert Downey Jr. wants to quit playing Iron Man. I get that. If you don't want to play Iron Man for the rest of your life, and you don't want to wear it out. Um, But I don't think I could ever look at another actor as Tony Stark again. Yeah, well, I I don't, like, see, that's the thing. I don't feel like they will recast Iron Man. Yeah. They will just have somebody pick up the Iron Man mantle. Like, they'll do right. the comic book thing where, like, Tony Stark just stops being Iron right. Man. Right, or, like, where Falcon picks up Captain America's shield. Exactly. exactly. Like, yeah. I think that's how they'll handle it. That's that's a good way of looking at it, too. All right, so let's, let's dive right into this plot of this film. I love this movie, so let's go ahead and start. So we start with uh, this film set in Afghanistan. Uh, John Favreau wanted to make the film more modern because, you know, in, in Iron Man's comic book origins, it's during the Vietnam War, right? Um, and he didn't want to do a period piece, which I think was a really good call. So he yeah. decides to set it in Afghanistan. We see these Humvees driving down, you know, what is actually California, but it's supposed to be at, you know, Afghanistan. So they're driving. D- desert is desert. Desert is desert, right? So they're driving down Afghanistan. Uh, we see all these uh, soldiers that are really like stiff, you know, and everything. And then we see this dude in shades, and he's got like some whiskey and a little glass, you know, and yeah, boom. alluding to the alcoholism, and alluding to the alcoholism. And uh, we see Tony Stark, right? And I believe that the I've got it written down here is like the first five minutes really setting up his like cocky attitude because we don't see this in a superhero, right? Every every major superhero film that we see, and I and I underline major, right? Because yeah. you know, you have to think of a, like a general consensus here. Like you have to think of what will work for the general consensus. Because if the majority doesn't like a film, it's not going to continue, right? Exactly. The, the genre is not going to continue. So we see Spider Man, Superman, Batman, and these are all you know like tragic, tragic heroes, death, heroes backstory. of justice. You know, good yeah. boys, right? And that and that's fine. Those are good. But we have yet to see like a really cocky. Like, like almost, almost anti-hero, almost anti-hero. Like, like you going, this is the hero. This is the good guy. We have yet to see that. Right. Within the first five minutes, he's all like, you know, complimenting the female driver. 
uh, he's like, uh, yeah, Make, makes the 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 already dated MySpace reference. Uh, yeah, so I had that written down. You know, he's he, the guy's like, can I take your picture? And he's like, yeah, sure. And then he puts his peace sign up. And he's like, no peace sign. And he's like, actually, yeah, go ahead. And he's like, I love peace. And he's like, I better not see this on your MySpace. You know, sitting there drinking whiskey in, in the back 2008. of two thousand eight. In two thousand eight, like, yeah. <laughs> so that was dated, right? Like, yeah, even like two thousand eight, MySpace wasn't a thing, right? I, it was. I think it was still a thing, but like it was in like the death throes of being a thing. Okay, okay. I wanted to make sure because I was listening to it. La- I was watching this movie last night, and I like that MySpace reference kind of caught me off guard. Um. So anyway, we we get to the scene where all of a sudden you know the Humvees attacked. It's been blown up. Uh, all the other soldiers die. Uh, Robert Downey Jr. or excuse me, Tony Stark walks out of the Humvee, and he's like, "What's going on?" And then you know a missile lands right next to him. He sees his own name on the missile. It blows up, and then Tony Stark is flung across the sands, and there's shrapnel, you know, in his shirt, you know, in his chest, and he starts bleeding, and then he passes out, right? Yeah. And so then, you know, we could have gone straight into, you know, what goes on after that, but they take a they take a small flashback step back, you know, to kind of really emphasize just how arrogant. Tony Stark is. Yeah, like how he basically creates his entire, like every problem in Tony Stark's life, Tony Stark has made. Exactly, exactly. So we flash back to an award ceremony and then we see Terrence Howard, right, as uh, Rhodey, as War Machine. I actually, I actually prefer Don Cheadle to Terrence Howard. I think that Terrence Howard would have been good if like he had set his ego aside and actually decided that like he he wasn't the star of the movie. I see. I don't know if that's really the situation. Or like not. it was I all about like uh, Robert Downey Jr. making more than him. Like that was the was one that of the, was that yeah the that was one of the big reasons why he was like because like he wanted like not I don't think he wanted the same amount as Robert Downey Jr. But I think he wanted like to continue being uh, Rhodey. I think he yeah. wanted a comparable pay to Robert Downey Jr. I mean, uh, yeah, and, I, and which I, is fair, which is fair because we get into that later after Avengers, right? Yeah, because you know. Um, um, oh, farts. I'm totally blanking out on Black Widow's actress right now. Scarlett Johansson. Scarlett Johansson. Sorry, I've got all the yeah, Iron Man information loaded up right now. So Scarlett Johansson's pay was like dismal compared yeah, to like, everyone else's, right? Uh, even Jeremy Renner's pay was yeah, like, dismal I, compared like, to the nobody, Like nobody gets paid as much as Robert Downey Jr. Right, like, and, so, and so Robert Downey Jr. kind of had to hold you know Disney hostage and say like increase their pay or yeah. I'm not doing this, which was very admirable. Um, but we're getting off topic. So Terrence Howard... Um, He's, you know, up there as Rhodey introducing Tony Stark. Tony's not there. Uh, and then we see Jeff Bridges come up as uh, Obadiah. And Obadiah is like, I'll take it, you know, in his stead. And he's like, uh, let me tell you, Tony is always working. And then we cut to Tony <laughs> playing craps. Yeah. You know? yeah. Uh, he's obviously very misogynist. He's got these ladies around him, you know. And then, you know, Rhodey comes up and he's like, you are un believable and he's like oh no did i miss the thing and he's like oh when did it start oh i'm so sorry and like you can tell he doesn't give a shit yeah and it's even more apparent that he doesn't give a shit that when they walk away from the craps table uh he hands that award to like some dude dressed up as like a roman gladiator he's like here here you go yeah walks off you know and the gladiator guy's like looking at it he's like what you know so this is a really great way to set up the character right this is really great um, character development, story development, you know, to show that this is not your typical hero story. This guy is not a guy you would root for, you know? No, I mean, like, you you don't want this dude to win because all he does is win. Exactly, exactly. Um, so then we eventually get to the part where there's the uh, the reporter, 
right? And she comes up and she says, you know, what do you say about being a, a modern Leonardo or whatever? You know, and I don't, I don't paint. Yeah, I don't paint. And then he's like, what about the Merchant of Death? And he's like, that's more accurate. Yeah, you know. And then of course this eventually leads to you know a one night stand with this you know reporter because that's Tony Stark right? exactly. Uh, Pepper Potts is there to clean up the mess and oh then, no to take out the trash. And, and so I was gonna get to that line right like the the reporter is like it's amazing that you're still even around and all that stuff and Pepper Potts is like well I'm always here to take out the trash and I'm just like. <laughs> Like, that's good writing, yeah. right? Like, it shows that Pepper Potts is like a woman that does not take your shit. And, you know, even though she is an assistant to Tony Stark, she's not going to be run over by, you know, a man or anyone, really, that's going to, like, you know, you know berate her. So, anyway, uh, you know, she, she goes out. And I wanted to talk about this scene just really quick. We don't see in, in any, like, after after Iron Man, right? I feel like they had to use kind of like the sex sales angle for this one part here to kind of get people interested. Like the whole part where they're on the bed rolling around with each other laughing. Yeah. She wakes up naked. It's the walk of shame, quote unquote. Right. And I'm kind of glad we don't see this in further superhero films or at least Marvel Cinematic Universe films. Right. Well, and you, you kind of see it in uh, Guardians, like with the with the random girl at the beginning in Peter Quill's right. ship. Right. But like we don't. But but. Outside of that one instance, like when do we see this again? Yeah, I mean, but like we don't know, we don't see Marvel using sex as a selling point. Anymore. Oh yeah, we I see them using romance. I definitely as a get what point. you're saying. You know, and I and I'm kind of glad that we had we were able to evolve past that, right? Um, with this genre. Yeah, I yeah. mean, like there, there's not a lot of over sexualization of characters in the Marvel universe, if any at all. I mean, like I, mean, I outside say- of the character designs themselves. Exactly, exactly. That's where I was gonna get at. Like you could, you could argue some is, but you know. Anyway, so we get to that part. So Tony's down in the basement, or excuse me, in his workshop. He's working on stuff, and you know, Pepper Potts is sitting there saying, like, you know, I need you to sign these papers. Oh, by the way, it's my birthday. And he's like, oh, I knew that. Uh, Get yourself something nice. Oh, I already did, you know. Shows that he just doesn't have his shit together when he's, like, working on stuff, you know. Uh, And then she's like, oh, by the way, you're late for your flight. And he's like, well, I thought that was the whole point of having a private jet. It doesn't leave without me. And I'm like, (laughs) that's that's actually a good point. Fair. Yeah. So Tony races over to the airfield, uh, gets on his, you know, and, of course, there's Rhodey, you know, and and Rhodey's like, you are un- believable yeah. he gets on his own private jet um and then you know roadie's sitting here and he's like i'm doing all the work man you're just always goofing off like what's up with you man and then you know of course tony stark is like oh, can we have some hot sake please like i can't can't have my sashimi for lunch without hot sake and then you know fast forward about 30 seconds in you know Rhodes is like i'm not gonna drink and then all of a sudden they're drinking you know yeah. and he's like i'm telling you man like and then he's just like just dumping all this stuff on stark and then we see again like seeing sex being sold to us because it's three air uh flight attendants right and they've taken their tops turned them into like crop top yeah. bikini things and they're dancing on poles on the plane or whatever or, or i can't remember if there's poles or not but anyway they're dancing i, I, I get what you're you know again, it's the imagery exactly right and so like again they're using this to sell the kind of point right and i'm glad we we've kind of evolved past yeah. that right tony stark is winning yeah exactly um so then we uh after seeing this weird scene you know because it's weird for me now because i don't associate any kind of like sexual anything with mcu anymore yeah you know? like i mean you're not like getting like when in thor ragnarok you're not getting like space strippers when you exactly. get to the casino like exactly. area or exactly. not the casino the uh crap gladiatory arena yeah like 
Absolutely. Where am I getting a casino from? It doesn't matter. <laughs> Maybe Star Wars? I don't know. Canto Bite. Canto Bite. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so um, we move along. Uh, Tony Stark demonstrates the Jericho missile. Uh, yeah, he and sells gives it to the, the best speech. Yeah, ever. so you said you, you said this is like one of your favorite like, parts. Oh, like it's just such a cool speech. Like as I like I've got it on my phone right now, and I kind of want to read it just because. Like, I mean, it's like I don't know. Like I don't know if this was just if this was one of the ad libs or if this was written out. But like yeah. if Tony Stark, if uh, Robert Downey Jr. Yeah. just like comes up with this off the top of his head while he's standing there. It's fantastic. Yeah. Because, like, the, the whole quote, like, and I'm probably going to butcher it because I'm terrible at reading things, but, like, it's, they say the best weapon is one you never had to fire, and I respectfully disagree. I prefer the weapon you only need to fire once. That's how Dad did it. That uh, That's how America does it, and it's worked pretty well so far. I present the newest in Stark Industries, Freedom Line. Find the, uh, find the excuse to use one of these, uh, or... To let one of these off the chain, and I personally guarantee you that the bad guys won't even come out of their caves. And they launch the missile on the word caves. Yeah. And it it like it explodes and like the shock wave comes. Yeah. And, and he's just standing there like and this. And like the reason yeah. you call it the Jericho missile is because it makes a wall of explosions. Yeah, exactly. Which is amazing. Blows off all the military dudes' hats. Yeah. And like he just continued, like, as soon as the shockwave hits him, like, he, like, kind of, like, steps down from where he was standing, and he just says, ladies and gentlemen, for your consideration, the Jericho missile. Yeah, <laughs> and, and that's like, it. That's yeah. it. That's And, like, he's done with his pitch, right? Um, he goes over to a box, opens it up, there's a cooler inside, and he pours himself a whiskey, and he's just like, I'm including this with every $500 million, you know, you, you of stuff you purchase, and then uh, gets in the Humvee. Yeah. And then he tell, and then Rhodes is going to hop in with him. And he says, says, oh, no, this is the fun V and tells him to, you know, go on. And and Rhodes, of course, is, you know, kind of like, all right, whatever, jackass. And then they fast forward through the whole scene. We get to uh, Tony Stark being captured. There's the surgery scene, which is kind of like weirdly shot. But, you know, I mean, it works. It's like a weird fever dream. We see like something's happening to him. Some kind of surgery is going on. Uh, Tony Stark wakes up and he's in a cave. And what I thought was really interesting about this, so the cave actually was not a, a natural cave set. This was a man-made set that was actually movable. Didn't and know that. they um, at first didn't have uh, air conditioning in there. And so no one you couldn't see the breath on anyone, right? Yeah. But if you know a lot about you know desert climate at night, things cold. get really cold, right? So um, John Favreau eventually put in air conditioning into the set and he t- cranked the cold up so high that you could see the breath on people. Yeah. Uh, which was really interesting. And then Robert Downey Jr. suggested that they really emphasize that everyone was kind of scrapping by using like parts of things to to have basic necessities, right? So if you'll, then this is fast forwarding a little bit, but you see a, a scene where Tony Stark and Yinsen are playing, uh, I think it's backgammon, and they're using like nuts and bolts for pieces, right? Yeah. But what they're using to serve tea out of, to steep the tea, he's got a sock in a teapot. And he's pouring the the tea, you know, uh, out of the teapot, and he's using that as a strainer, the yeah. sock. And this is this is like part of Robert Downey Jr.'s idea to like use these random pieces to show that like they really weren't like living it up; they were like scraping by of what they could like scrape around in the cave. Uh, so I thought that was really interesting. But anyway, so Tony wakes up, he realizes you know like something's terribly wrong. He looks down at his chest, and all of a sudden there's this thing sticking out of his chest, and he looks at Yinsen, and he's like, "What happened?" And Yinsen's like, "Oh." You have shrapnel that's going to get into your heart, you know, and that's an electromagnet that is pushing the shrapnel out of your heart to keep it out of the vital areas. 
Uh, we used to call these, I think it's like the Walking Dead or the Walking Ghosts or something like that. Some I think he said Walking Dead, and I think this is prior to, because I, I don't think the comic Walking Dead came out until 09 or 2010 or something yeah, like that. Yeah, and like... Um, and the show is not until like my senior 2011 year high school, or something so, like, yeah, yeah. 20, uh, 2011. But anyway, so um, he, you know, Jensen's like, you know, you're here because, you know, they want you to remake a Jericho missile. And he's like, what? And, uh, you know, he, you know, they eventually, you know, he says, you know, make me the, the terrorist leader comes in, you know, yeah. or at least the second command comes in first. Second command comes in. And he's like, make me the Jericho missile. And Tony's like, no. And they water torture him a little bit, you know. And then, you know, they pull him outside. They show him that, like, all the Stark stuff is there. He sees, like, all his stuff is in the hands of terrorists, yeah. right? And uh, you can start seeing the shame on Tony's face a little bit, right? You, you, he's, like, really confused. He's really shameful that this has happened. And then, you know, Yinsen translates for him again. He's like, they say you have everything you need to make a Jericho missile. And if you make it, they'll let you go. And then, you know, <laughs> they won't let me yeah, go. exactly. And, and then Tony's like, they're not going to let me go. And Yinsen's like, no, they're not going to let you go. And the guy's like smiling as like, cause yeah. he doesn't understand what they're saying in English. So then we, we fast forward a little bit. Tony starts taking apart all these missiles. He's not telling Yinsen what's going on. Right. Um, and Yinsen's like, maybe you could help me out with the plan a little bit. And so Tony pulls out this very small piece of metal and he's like, you know, this is point two grams. I need 1.6 grams of this. Go ahead and start taking apart the other 11 missiles. Right. And so they do, uh, they've got a little crucible, they forge a little ring. And then Tony eventually makes a miniature arc reactor in his, uh, for his chest. Uh, yeah. so, he, so I thought what was interesting is you see Tony lugging around a car battery, you know, yeah, to keep him alive, basically. to keep him alive. And so like, I thought that was a nice touch because everywhere he goes, we're like, Jensen's walking around. He's taking that car battery. And he's like putting it up on discs. He's, pu- he's putting it down, you know, or whatever. So obviously Tony Stark's like, first thing is like, how do I like walk around without lugging a big ass car battery? Yeah, Like this is alive? inconvenient. Exactly. I don't like this. I'm going to fix it. So what does he do? <laughs> he makes a freaking super reactor, an arc reactor, right? That is like supposedly going to be able to like, as Jensen put it, power his heart for 50 lifetimes, yeah. you know? Makes it in a cave. Or something big for 15 minutes. Yeah, right, or something big for 15 minutes. So um, we eventually learned that Yinsen, you know, was a, a captured scientist as well. Um, he says he's got family out there and that he's hoping to see them one day. And, you know... To- Just emphasizing how doomed he is. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and, and I've got here, Yinsen's actor, Sean Tobe, is a damn treasure. And he is, because I loved the the character for Yinsen in this. It's a little different than the comic origin, because the comic origin, he's I think he's Chinese. And in the movie, in this movie, he's uh, Persian, I believe. Yeah. Um, or, well, it's from some country starting with a G, yeah. which may or may not exist. Oh, no. The, the village that he's from starts with a G. Oh, okay. I've got it somewhere here in my notes. But anyway, so it's it's it. Yinsen is a very important keystone here in this film. He's Tony Stark's like touch with humanity. Yinsen says like Tony, this is your legacy. He's like, is this what you want to be remembered as? Is like you know this guy who enabled all these terrorists who 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 murdered you know all these people, uh, kind of second handedly. Yeah, and know? like they also like before this like the line about like having one week and like making like making that one oh week that's matter. right yeah. yeah so they only have a week to make the jericho missile yeah. right sorry 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 i forgot the the time limit there so tony and yinsen start forming forming this bond um yinsen starts noticing that what tony is making is not another jericho missile right and he's like dude what are you what are you making like what are you doing and so tony re- reveals that like all the blueprints all the st- like things he's had he starts stacking them yeah, he, on top of them. he starts overlaying them starts ta- stacking them on top of each other and shows the first Iron Man suit, the MK1 suit, yeah. right? And, of course, Yinsen's like, ah, you know. 
So Tony's arc reactor will be able to power the suit for about 15 minutes. So they got to make sure that this suit is powerful enough to get them out of that cave, right? Well, the true terrorist leader, uh, whose character name I always forget, so we'll just we'll call him the terrorist leader, comes in and he's like, what are you guys doing? You know, you guys are not making, you know, the, the Jericho missile. And Stark is like, no, 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 we are, we are. And they take Yensen and they're going to like burn him or whatever. And, and Stark's like, I need him undamaged, please. You know, and, and yeah. so he's like, now you only have a day. So now Yensen and Stark are, you know, rushing to get this done. And then eventually they start like, pounding on the door because they realize Stark is nowhere to be seen on the security cameras inside the cave, right? They only see Yinsen hammering on something. So they're like, where's Stark? And so the you know, they send two guards down there and the guards are speaking Hungarian and, and Yinsen can only speak a little bit of Hung, you know, Hungarian. Unbeknownst to them, they've got a bomb stra- you know, strapped to the door. Yeah. And uh, they were hoping to have a little bit more time to boot up the sequence for everything. So Yinsen boots up the computer, you know, but there's not enough time. So Yinsen's like, I'm going to go buy you some more time. And, you know, of course, Stark is like, no, no, no. And he runs out there. He, uh, they open the door. They, you know, the two guards blow up. Yinsen grabs, uh, you know, the machine gun and starts making some time for Tony, right? And then we see Tony finally suit up in the MK1. Well, it starts suiting up, but we don't see everything. I've got the shot, like, listed right here. You know, we've got uh, use, using darkness and gunfire light, right, for the reveal of the MK1 suit. Yeah. It was really genius, right? Because you, it's it's almost like scary. Yeah, right? I, well, it's a well, it's it's the Iron Giant, basically. Like, it it's is, a yeah. big silver metal monstrosity. Exactly. So these like giant these, eye holes. These terrorist guards are like confused because like a door blew up, right? Yensen's like running down the hallway shooting things, and all of a sudden you just hear like, and then like lights are out. They're using gunfire to like, you know, kind of show like the fear on these guys' faces, and then they quit shooting for a second. And then all of a sudden it's just like boom, there it is. The MK1 suit, and he just like knocks these dudes out. It's 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 interesting that they use this kind of like fear to also show like how how powerful the suit is. Yeah. You know, even though it looks janky compared to like the MK2 and MK3 suits. Uh it, it, it's interesting. It's an interesting angle to use. Well, eventually they start. This is one cinematography thing that I didn't like. They eventually start showing two guards, like, trying to bum rush him, right? To show, like, how powerful the suit is that he can knock him away. Yeah. And they do this weird found footage angle where the guards are running towards him. And then you can tell that they use, like, a lower quality camera. Yeah, like, not a GoPro, but, like, similar to a GoPro. Right, what would be be now an equivalent to using a GoPro, right? Uh, And these guys are like, ah! And then you just see like an arm like go towards the camera, right? And then the guy, and then it shows a regular like high quality camera, and the dude flies away, right? And then it goes back to, you know, GoPro footage, and it's a second guy running in, and then you know you see the other arm like throw this dude away. I didn't like this. This made me think of like Blair Witch Project and Cloverfield. Well, and I mean, all that you, you got to think though. Like, I mean, this is the era of the Paranormal Activity movies being like interesting and good. Was paranormal? No, paranormal activity wasn't out by then, though. Paranormal activity didn't come out until I was in college. Uh, no, no, no. I, I know this because I saw Iron Man in high school, and then in college I saw it with my now wife, and she was so scared that like she stayed over at the dorm. All right, so or maybe go, I stayed over. I'm gonna look this up because I uh, don't no, believe you. <laughs> I, no, I I know this. You're, you're gonna be completely wrong here in about you know two minutes. But anyway. Tony Stark, you know, upon all this reflection and everything, he he makes the Iron Man suit. He decides to break out. He starts, you know, tossing all these terrorists left and right with the Iron, the MK1 Iron Man suit. Uh, he eventually causes a cave collapse. The first Paranormal Activity movie came out in 2007. No, it did. Yeah, I'm looking at it. 
I I knew it came out while I was in high school. That's right. No, because I was in college. When Pat- Are you oh, sure it wasn't the second one? Maybe it was the second one. <laughs> Beans. Okay. <laughs> touche. 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 All right. Um. But anyway, so. Iron Man's, you know, flinging all these terrorists left and right. He gets to the terrorist leader. Uh, the, the leader th- puts, like, a grenade and a rifle, shoots it at him. Somehow yeah. misses at an incredibly close range. Oh, what about the dude with the pistol who just, like, shoots him at point blank range and gets shot oh, in the yeah, head? Oh, yeah, that's right. To show, like, how uh, bulletproof the suit is. Like, he comes up behind him, shoots him, and then, boom, like, it bounces off and shoots him. So, anyway, the terrorist leader tries to shoot Tony. Tony reveals that he's got, like, a missile in his arm. Yeah. Shoots some rocks and everything. Like, rubble falls down on him. So then he finds Yinsen. Yinsen's got like this bag of rice or beans or something on top of him and he pulls it off, you know, and he's all like, come on, we got to get out of here. You got to get up. And Yinsen's like, you know, I'm not going with you. He's like, you got to see your family. And Yinsen's like, my family's already dead. And then Tony looks at him and says, thank you for saving my life. And then Yinsen says, don't waste this chance. Yeah. Which again, really emphasizes the theme for this movie all and, and for Robert Downey Jr., right? All about second chances and not wasting them. Like yeah. realizing when you get a second chance. So then we get Iron Man coming out of the cave, right? All these terrorists are scared shitless. Then the flamethrower. Um, then the flamethrowers oh. come out. Yeah, so like we got double flamethrowers coming out. He's he's burning all these missiles and everything. And this leads to one of my favorite shots in the film. He blows up all the missiles. All the terrorists are like, you know, being blown away. And, and then we see Iron Man heroically, you know, using his thrusters to get out of the blaze of fire. He looks Superman. dope. Exactly, right? He kind of looks like Iron Giant. So he, he flies out of this big fire explosion. He looks heroic, and then he reeks the apex of his, his flight, and then all of a sudden things start going terribly wrong. <laughs> he starts falling down towards the sand. Pieces of the suit are flying off, you know, and he lands in the sand, and he's, like, half stuck in the he's sand. Broken his and arm. Suit, and he's just sitting there, and he's like, well, it could have gone worse, yeah. you know. <laughs> so Tony Stark eventually starts walking through the desert. He's uh, found by the American military. Rhodes comes out of the helicopter when they find him in the desert, and he's like, next time, you know, I'm going in the fun V. And uh, then Tony makes it back to America. He sees uh, Pepper Potts and Happy Hogan. They're they're happy to see him. I love the line where Tony looks at Pepper Potts and he's like, "Your eyes are red. You've been crying." And she's like, "Yeah." And he goes, "Oh, were you sad about you know losing your boss?" And she was like, "No, I just I hate job hunting." You know. <laughs> so it's, it it starts building this really fun, yeah their their dynamic. It starts building this fun dynamic, which then later kind of. Their dynamic gets weird, and we'll talk about it later because, like, it, it's weird because it seems almost like they didn't know what to do with with the dynamic between Stark and Pepper yeah. Potts, at least in my opinion. But anyway, so Tony's like, I'm calling up a press conference. He's like, I want to do two things. I want an American burger, and I want a press conference. So right? his his burger yeah. is fucking Burger King. And so, no. And so this is the really – so I mentioned earlier, right, that this is a really important point, actually, the smaller point where – uh, Robert Downey Jr. talks about the point where his life, he started turning his life around. Yeah. Burger King had a very important aspect in that moment. You're shitting I'm me. not. And that's why he chose to have Burger King put in the film. Okay. okay. Elaborate. Okay. So Robert Downey Jr., he's got a car full of drugs. Okay. And he is just completely like, he's down on his luck. Uh, he goes into Burger King, he orders a burger and a Coke, right? And he gets the burger. And he says the burger was so bad, it was so disgusting, that it made him sit there and reflect on his life because he was like, I'm sitting here and I'm eating this shitty burger. I've got a car full of drugs. I need to turn my life around. So he takes the drugs that were in his car and he throws them into the ocean. Because of a shitty burger from Burger King? Yes. Yes. 
And so that was the pivotal point for Robert Downey Jr. And that's why he included Burger King in that scene. And that's why Tony Stark is eating Burger King when he says he wants a burger. Wow. And I thought that was like one of the coolest Easter egg things ever. This is in an interview with MTV uh, when Robert Downey Jr. was talking about this. He said literally the burger was just so bad that he just was like, I don't want to be eating stuff like this anymore. I don't want to be here anymore. If, I, if this is my life is going to be like this. That may be the like only time in human history where Burger King has made any significant change in a human's <laughs> life. Made anyone's life better. Other than paying their rent. Yeah. So, and so Robert Downey Jr. insisted that it was Burger King that he, you know, in that scene. And then also he was really happy that Burger King took on the Iron Man toy line uh, when the movie was out. <laughs> They're yeah. just happy to be included. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So it was, it was really, it was like a fun like tie-in, like a real-world tie-in for Robert Downey Jr.'s mythos and also for, you know, Tony Stark's. Anyway, we get to the press conference, right? And uh, this is when we're introduced to S.H.I.E.L.D. agent Phil Coulson. And, of course, we get to the part where he's like, you know, where the, uh, you know, uh, I forget what S.H.I.E.L.D. actually stands for. It's like Security, Homeland, Intelligence, something. And so, like, he's, yeah, he says, like, like it's, oh. it's an acronym. And he's like, he says this really long name. Pepper Potts is like, you need a, you need a, a better name. And he's like, we're working on it, you know. <laughs> And then, then he's like, can we meet up with you? And you at first think like, oh, this is going to be like a throwaway thing or whatever. But it's very important that we introduce who you know Agent Coulson is here at this yeah, point. because he's like a four-movie-long plot device. Exactly. So uh, we get to this pro- press conference. Uh, Obadiah Stone. Uh, Stain. Who, Stain. Sorry, Stain. I keep wanting to say Stone. Obadiah Stain. You know, is happy that Tony is back. He's wondering why we're having a press conference, and and Tony Stark is like, "Don't worry, I got this." And he get he gets up there, and he's like, "Can everyone just sit down?" Like, and so everyone sits down. <laughs> And that was actually another choice by Robert Downey Jr. He asked that everyone sit down to make everything a little bit more natural feeling because they yeah. were originally going to have 400 extra actors. Oh, on Lord. There. And then Robert Downey Jr. is like, that doesn't feel like it would actually happen. He's like, let's let, he's like, this dude has you know, been in Afghanistan for like three months you know, in a cave. He's probably tired. He's probably going to want everyone to sit down, right? So rather than have 400 people standing up and like shouting at him and all that stuff, he thought it would be more interesting to have like 50 people like sitting down and they're all kind of looking at each other like, well, this is... This is an orthodox. Yeah. Know? So to that point, Robert, uh, we're seeing Robert Downey Jr. It's, they're interchangeable. Yeah, I started to say, like, when yeah. you say Tony Stark, you, you think, think Robert, Robert Downey, Downey Jr. Jr. And vice versa. Um, so Tony Stark talks about his legacy. Talks, He reflects on his dad's legacy. He reflects on the legacy of, of his company. And he reveals that he's going to stop weapons production for Stark Industries. And, of course, Obadiah is like, oh, uh, we're going to talk about yeah, it. Uh, hold on. Yeah, you know, we'll, we'll have a conversation or something. I like money. Exactly. I like money. So Obadiah, you know, of course, is going to confront Tony about this later. Uh, we see Obadiah come in on a freaking Segway with yeah, a cigar in his buddy. mouth. With a cigar in like, his mouth. And I stopped and I wrote, Obadiah Stane shows up on a Segway with a cigar in his mouth to confront Stark. Nothing says fat cat of industry like this combination. Yeah, like I... Also, you you got to take into account how much bigger of a human being Jeff Bridges is compared to, to Robert, Robert Downey, Downey Jr. Jr. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because like Jeff, like this this will make sense to you, but it won't make sense to anybody listening to this. Like Jeff Bridges is Joe's size, and Robert Downey Jr. is your size. Exactly. So we have a good friend named Joe. Joe is what like six, six three, six three. Yeah, and he's probably got another fifty pounds on me or something like that. But anyway, so. We, we start seeing a little bit of fleshing out for Obadiah, right? Yeah. Um, they originally had a lot more, uh, they, a lot more. They had more scenes shot out for Obadiah and for Jeff Bridges' character, but they eventually decided to cut a lot of them down, right? And focusing on more quality over quantity. Yeah. Uh, but I think this is a good quality scene. We see that Obadiah, you know, 
he, he's a man of industry. He's a man of business, right? He doesn't want to be bothered with Tony's like sudden change of heart, right? So he comes in. Tony sees the giant arc reactor, you know, and uh, he's like, I want to I want to work on this, you know, and Obadiah is like, this is a, a publicity stuff for the hippies, for the hippies. Right. You know, like we, we work on weapons and he's like, not anymore, you know, and he's like, well, then give me something to work with. And then Tony, of course, is like, well, who told you? Was it Rhodey? Was it Pepper Potts? And he's like, just show it to me, you know, and then, of course, you know, Tony Stark opens up his shirt, shows the mini arc reactor in his chest, you know, and Obadiah, this is where we start seeing Obadiah really interesting. He's like, oh, man, come on. Man. Yeah, the like, wheels start turning. Wheels start turning. Right. So after this, we see Tony, he's down in his workshop, right? Pepper Potts comes in looking for him. She comes down into the workshop, you know, down the stairs. Reminiscent of the, of the flashback scene from earlier. Yeah. He is sitting on a chair. He's got a heart monitor, you know, hooked up to himself. And he's trying to change out his core, right? And, yeah. and it's really funny because he messages or he calls her upstairs. And he's like, how big are your hands? And she's like, what? And he's like, just just come on down. And then, like, as she's walking, he's like, show me your hands. And she, he's like, oh, yeah, very petite. Okay, cool. Let's try this. And so <laughs> they do this really funny awkward you know i need you to reach your hand into, into my, my chest, chest and, and pull, pull out this magnet and what no what, no so she wasn't supposed to pull out the magnet right he says keep pulling and he goes and when there's that magnet stop and she pulls the magnet out, and he goes oh oh and you've pulled that out and he, she goes what do i do and he goes i don't know i wasn't expecting you to pull that part out and so you know and then she's like what's happening he's like oh i'm just going into cardiac arrest you know? <laughs> And so she changes out the arc reactors and she's got her hands covered in goop or whatever. She's like, it's pus. And he's like, it's a bio gel. It's not from my own body. What I thought was really interesting about the scene, though, was they actually used a prosthetic chest uh, for this scene because they couldn't get it to work. Yeah, quite I mean, right. you, can't, you can't just drill a hole right, in your chest. chest. So they used a prosthetic chest for this. Uh, they had uh, different lighting angles and camera angles to show because apparently. It wasn't quite working right with the way Robert Downey Jr. was breathing. It wasn't looking quite right. Yeah. So they had to shoot it from a certain angle to, to sell it. So anyway, you know, she puts her hands in there. She changes out the arc reactor. She has the old one. She's like, what do I do with this? And Tony's like, ah, you know, throw it away. It's garbage. Yeah. You know? <laughs> because Tony's a man of, of industries. He's constantly yeah. evolving. So this is new. That's the iPhone 8. I got the iPhone 10. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Jarvis starts helping Tony uh, make the MK2 suit on this really neat holographic table. He's taking parts away and all that stuff. And this is what kind of what had my uh, Korean exchange student who was watching the movie with me in the theater. This is what had him fascinated. He was like, I want that. And I was like, what are you talking about, Gerard? And he's like, I want a, a computer that projects things and I can use my hand to like pull and move things yeah, and delete like things. Yeah, like a 3D, like a basically 3D space computer. Exactly. Like what you'd be able to do in VR right now. Exactly. Maybe. Maybe. But uh, um, just uh, on a side note, was yeah. it weird for you to have Jarvis back? What do you mean? Like, all right, so I haven't watched the original Iron Man movie in a pretty long time. Like okay. it's been at least probably like two years since I saw it. Uh, well, I know not, it's not been that long because I watched it all. Like I, I powered through these movies for Infinity for Infinity War like you did, but like I didn't right. like do it critically like this. Right. So like, I all I'm saying is like I've been used to Friday for a little bit now, and like, oh, like was it we, weird to have Paul Bettany back in there? Yeah, like like having him in Tony's head. It, um, it is now a little weird because I did at first like my first instinct wasn't Jarvis, it was Vision. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't that hard for me to adjust back to oh, this is pre-Vision, you know. Um, and what's so this is another little funny tidbit I was gonna say for later, but we'll talk about it now since we're on the topic. Uh, Paul Bettany actually said he felt really bad for his part about you know uh, for playing Jarvis. He worked a whole two hours for all of Jarvis's <laughs> lines. He walked in, said his lines for two hours. He said he got paid a very considerable sum of money for the amount of work he put in. Yeah. And then he immediately went on vacation with his wife. Wow. 
And he's like, I feel bad because compared to all the other actors and actresses, yeah, right, like, they had to do a lot of work. They had to go on set. They yeah. had to go anywhere. He walked in, did two hours of work, got paid a buttload of money, and then walked out. <laughs> you know, it's, it's great. But anyway, so Jarvis is helping him make the MK2 suit. And this is where we start seeing, uh, out back in Afghanistan, we start seeing uh, that the terrorist leader, he's still alive. He's scarred up, you know, a little yeah. bit. He's got, you know, some some scabbing and stuff. And they are looking in the desert for the remains of the MK1 suit. And then some guy finds the mask. He sees it. And so they start, you know, sifting through the, the sands for it, right? Uh, we go back to Tony Stark. He's back in his workshop. He's working on the hover boot aspect, you know. Does, does a flip which would kill a normal human. Right. Uh, he tests out the hover boots. They don't work so well. This is also where we start seeing the angle with the little extinguisher robot. You yeah. Know? And he's like, you know, put me out if I catch fire. And the, which, the robot keeps like trying to put him out. And he's like, ah, ah, ah. like if yeah. you notice, like that's like the, the first invention Tony Stark made, like in one of those news clips, like, oh, right. Like it shows him next to the jank robot. That's true. That's true. Right. And he keeps threatening to like donate him to a college yeah. or something like that if it doesn't shape up. So he he makes these boots, you know, we see the flight test and everything goes really well. He goes upstairs because Obadiah visits his house, right? And he's like, hey, man, what's going on? And he goes, hey, the company's vying for control. He goes, I, uh, you know, I tried to tell them that you're working on something, but they don't want to listen. You know, they, they're really upset with the fact that you're not making, you don't want to make weapons anymore. You know, Tony Stark is like, well, we're working on that. And he goes, well, let me have the guys look at your arc reactor, draw up some blueprints, and we can sell this idea, you know, to the rest of the investors. And, of course, Tony's like, no, this is mine. This is my property. You know, this is not going to be a, a Stark Industries product, yeah. right? Um, and, of course, then this, that adds more fuel to the fire for Obadiah to, you know, uh, hate Tony Stark and, yeah. and to, you know, to become a villain eventually, right? Moving right along, though. We see Stark start up uh, his MK2 suit, which is the full silver suit, right? Yeah. He hovers around a little bit, and Jarvis is like, okay, great. He goes, would you like me to disengage it? And he goes, actually, tell me what the weather patterns are like. And Jarvis is like, uh, so there are terabytes of info we need to go through before you do a full flight. And he goes like, ah, screw it. you know. <laughs> Tony Stark, do it along. Exactly. So he flies out of his house in Malibu. Starts flying around. This is where we start seeing the suit fly. This is start where you can start seeing, like, we start seeing the HUD, basically. Yeah. The heads-up display. We we see, you know, which is now commonplace, you know, in all these movies, but we see Tony Stark being able to look and scan and analyze everything within that helmet. Flying around, he scans the little kid in the Ferris wheel, and the kid's, like, looking at him, and the ice cream plops out of his, you know, which, cone. Which, like, random. Yeah. Like, felt very, like, reminiscent of, well, now that I've, like, got all these movies in my brain. Yeah. Like, uh, of Homecoming. Like, that felt oh, like... Oh, right, yeah. It felt like the, uh, like, with uh, Spider-Man in the in the carnival bit. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I, you, you, we're on the same wavelength. Yeah. You know what I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, I know what you're talking like, about. That, yeah. I thought that was which a, works really well because Iron Man's in that movie. Exactly, right? neat little um, tie-in. Yeah. So, um, so he's flying around, and of course, Tony Stark, being Tony Stark, uh, he has his Icarus moment. Yeah. He's, he's like, Too "What's close the record?" Yeah. So he he asks Jarvis. He's like, "What's the record for you know like highest ascent?" And Jarvis is like, "It's you know this many miles up in the eye." And he's like, "Let's try it." Goes up realizes that the suit ice is over, you know, and so he manages to, like, manually open up the flaps on the suit as he's plummeting down to the earth, right, because he's encased in ice. Yeah. Opens up the flaps, manages to activate the suit right before he hits the ground, almost causes a car to wreck, and this is where we start seeing Tony, like, really enjoying being Iron Man. Yeah. And then this next part, I kind of forgot about. I forgot how it worked. 
And so I was really glad to rewatch the movie again. So he's on the top of his house and he's like, all right, let's do a soft landing. And he cuts off the, you know, and the he just falls, falls through falls it. three stories through his house. He's like, boom, <laughs> boom, boom, crashes on top of one of his nice cars. And then extinguisher, extinguisher robot looks at him and then just goes. <laughs> yeah, it's great. <laughs> it's, it's such a, it's such a like great example of physical comedy. Yeah. It's, it's fantastic. And he's just sitting there like, <laughs> just looking defeated. And so it's awesome. Tony Stark eventually he uh, gets out of the suit, you know, and he's looking, he's working around, he's walking around the workshop, and he sees the gift from Pepper Potts. She takes that first arc reactor and encases it in a nice little glass case and says, "Proof that Tony Stark has a heart." Yeah, yeah. and it's very like it's, it's very just, cute. It's, it's very your sweet. awe moment. Then we go back to the terrorists, right? We're we're seeing them. They've got all the parts laid out on the floor. They're trying to rebuild the MK1 suit. You know, they're looking at all his papers and plans, and they're trying to rebuild the suit. You know, being all ominous, like, "Ooh, what are they gonna do?" You yeah. know. Uh, and then we jump from that back to Jarvis. Uh, Jarvis suggests that they refit the suit with, I thought this really was interesting because I didn't pay attention to this when I was in high school, you know, listening to it. He suggested they refit the suit with a gold metallic um, material that they use on satellites. Um, since satellites obviously have to like combat over icing and stuff like yeah. that in space. He says, you know, let's layer the Iron Man suit with that. You know, that should be good. So you see a projected image of the suit completely in gold, which is an homage to the comics, right? Yeah. Because his second suit was all gold. You know, Tony Stark being Tony Stark is like, throw some fire red in that. Yeah, yeah some, I gotta make some it. Some hot rod red. Yeah. And of course, Jarvis is like, oh yes, how you know how very subtle. You know? Exactly. <laughs> Jarvis says, you know, I'll make that. It'll be done in five hours. And it's at that point that Tony Stark sees on the TV that there's a big benefit going on for Stark Industries. And then he's like, Jarvis, did we did we get an invite for that? And he's like, there's nothing in my records, sir. You know, and so he's like, huh, huh. You know, yeah. and so he drives out there. And this is where we see the first MCU, not not the first, but the first Marvel Cinematic Universe, uh, Stanley cameo. Yeah. As he's making his way into the party. And he's, he's like, good and to he's see Hugh Hefner. He's, yeah, he's just, good to see Hugh Hefner, like pats him on the back. And we turn around and we see that Stanley, right? I didn't make that connection until well after the movie was over, right? Because I was so absorbed in this movie, I didn't realize that was Stan Lee. Oh, uh, well, I guess by that point, like early in this, because and he'd made cameos in the he, he had made cameos in other Fantastic Marvel Four movies and, and other stuff, right? But like, I, I guess it didn't hit me until much, much later because like I was talking with my grandparents and I was like, "That wasn't Hugh Hefner," and they were like, "No," and I was like, "Was that Stan Lee?" And they were like, "Yeah," and I was like, "Oh." Oh, you know, and like, so it, yeah. didn't, it didn't hit me like at that point, you know, but after that, I was always looking for Stan in the movies now. Um, but anyway, so he walks in, you know, Obadiah's like, what are you doing here, buddy? <laughs> like, he's <laughs> like um, an almost Lebowski-esque, yeah. like, hey, man, like, hey, man, what are you, what are you doing yeah. here, you know? And then Tony's all like, why wasn't I invited? And he goes, well, you know, things are rocky. I thought it was best for you to lay low. And he's like, I'm not laying low at my own benefit thing. He finds Pepper Potts, and this is where we get to this weird angle that I didn't like. So, you know, she doesn't want him dancing with her because she's like, oh, well, everyone knows how Tony Stark is with women, and I yeah. don't want you know, all that stuff. And they almost kiss after they get done dancing, and, you know, then they don't. And then she's just like, I want a really strong vodka martini with, like, three olives. And he's like, okay, sure. Goes to the bar, and that's when he runs into the reporter again, right? Yeah. And the reporter's like, how do you feel about your stuff being sold to these terrorists? And it's the uh, it's the village of if I can find it really quick here, uh, Golmira. Yeah, this is Jensen's home village. From. Also, 
a reference that like went over my head when I was like when I first saw this movie, but didn't go over my head right. now. Yeah, is that the terrorist uh, gang is the Tin Rings? Yes, being a yes. Mandarin reference. Yes, and I and I think and this feeds into I think Ironmonger slash uh, Obadiah Stane was the best choice I think as far as an Iron Man villain goes because they alluded to the like oh god it just makes me hate Iron Man three even more. Well, but like let's we'll talk about that later. Yeah. But but I I think I think. Ironmonger was a good choice because if you had started right off the bat with the Mandarin, it would have been really unbelievable. Right? Yeah, like because you would have had the magic rings, exactly. and craziness, and and a lot of the other Iron Man villains didn't work so well. Because they're lame. Well, ish. Yeah, most are. Um, but you know, Ironmonger was a good choice because it was very easy to take a corporate, you know, man of industry who was very strategic you and know, just give him a bigger Iron Man and suit. give him a bigger Iron Man suit. It was great. Um, so anyways, the reporter tells Tony like, Hey, the 10 rings, you know, have more of your stuff. Tony's like, I didn't, you know, I didn't sign off on these sales, you know? And that's when he ditches pepper to go find Obadiah. And he's like, dude, what is up with this? Like, who's making these sales? And then Obadiah is like, we're moving on without you, Tony. Who do you think started the whole thing to get you out of the company? (laughs) And then you're like, Oh damn, Obadiah. Like that's cold. So Tony realizes that like he's starting to have no control over his own company. Right. And so then we get to the fact that Tony is sitting on the couch. He's got one of his uh, arms, you know, sitting there. It's red now, right? Yeah. He's got this humongous screwdriver, and he's sitting there adjusting it, and he's watching the news, and he's watching what's going on in Golmira. And you start seeing, like, the the like the ferocity on his face. He's just like, I have to make things right. I yeah. have to, like, fix this. And this is probably my favorite scene in the movie. We get to we, – we, we cut over to Golmira, right? And we see the, the terrorist second-in-command guy. He's pushing people around. He's, he's hoarding up all the women and children. He's putting all the men up against a wall. You see this one little boy. He doesn't want to be separated from his dad. And he's like, Papa, you know, and then yeah. uh, and then they separate him. And then he tells the other guys, he's like, shoot this guy, you know. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, boom, drops in Iron Man. Also, like, uh, we did a little bit about that. Like, I wonder how long it, like, just takes a commercial flight to get from California to Afghanistan. Oh. And how fast Tony would have to be going. Well, if you remember after this, he goes supersonic. Yeah. Um, which we'll talk about here in a little bit. But anyway, so Iron Man drops in, and uh, he immediately just knocks a dude, like, uppercuts Yeah, and he does, like, that flies. awesome CG flip, yeah. which is great. Yeah, the dude just flies. And so we immediately see, like, oh, damn, you know, this suit is super strong. And then he activates his repulsors, which are which are supposed to be for flight control, right? Yeah. And then he's just like, boom, 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 knocking stuff down. This scene is is great because we get to see, I've got it listed here. It's like, um, we get to see Iron Man in full heroic scope. Knocking dudes away, using repulsors, firing that little tiny missile to take out a tank. Yeah, the comedic little missile, right? I love the like like I love how the Iron Man suit always looks angry. It does, yeah. Like it's just got like this pissed off face. That first that first suit it does. It always looks pissed. (laughs) This was the this was the scene in the trailer that like sold me because they had this playing with Black Sabbath's Iron Man, right? And you see him shoot that little tiny missile inside the tank and you hear boom and then the tank blows up and it's like down yeah he's just walking away and then then it cuts to the title and i was like Like, i'm sold like like, that's your like terminator moment where you're just like this is that was when 17 year old zach was like i'm immediately sold on this thank you so anyway, we, we get to see, uh, and then also, oh yeah, the uh, the terrorists are taking hostages, right? And so Jarvis's AI like recognizes who's a terrorist and who's a civilian. Yeah. His shoulders pop open. Everyone gets hit with like these darts, and they all get knocked out, right? So then you know Tony's like saving the day. 
And then you see that second command, like he's trying to call someone. And this is a really cool scene. He's up against a wall. He's trying to call, pro- you know, probably the leader that Terry sell of the 10 rings. We see Iron Man's arm just go boom, through the wall, grab the dude, pull him through a concrete wall, throw him down on the ground. And he looks at the villagers and he's like, he's all yours now and flies off. It's great. I yeah. love this scene. I, I, it's, it is fantastic. We get to see Iron Man in full heroic scope, right? But then, like, after this, they bring you back down out of this super serious moment with him dicking around with those two... Uh, those two jets and exactly. him on the phone with Rhodey. Exactly. Which so is another great scene. So so we have we have uh, the Americans right, and they're really like the uh, the Air Force is really concerned because they're like, wait, who's who's setting off all these explosions? Did we you know did we get clearance to go in there? And they're like, no, they had hostages. And the two jets, which are funnily named uh, Whiplash One and Whiplash Two, you know, as a the nice little, little homage. Yeah. There. Um. So Whiplash One and Whiplash Two, these two supersonic jets go in. They can't track them down. The guy in the Air Force base is like, get me Colonel Rhodes. You know, Rhodes is in, and they're, like, going through all the options. You know, they're like, yeah, Navy says it's not them. You know, Air Force says it's not them. It's not the it's not the Marines. And they're like, well, whose is it? You know, and they're like, shoot it down. And then we have this just, like, weird but also funny moment where, like, you know, Tony and Rhodes are talking on cell phones. I'm right like, with the top down. <laughs> yeah. He's like, uh, he's like, uh, I'm driving with the top down, he, and he's like, why are you sound out of breath? He's like, oh, I, I, I'm, I'm running, running through the canyon, run, running through the canyon. He's like, I thought you said you were driving. He goes, I'm, I'm driving to go run in the canyon, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like he can't keep his stuff straight. So Rhodes thinks it's an unmanned. Uh, he thinks it's a drone. He thinks it's a drone, and eventually Tony's like, he calls Rhodes back, and they use the old 1966 Iron Man theme song for Rhodes's cell phone ringtone, yeah. and he flips it open. And he's like, Rhodes, it's me. And he's like, I know. And he goes, no, it's literally like me in a tin can, like, you know, being there. And then Rhodes is like, oh, damn, how do we get him out of this? You know, um, we then see, you know, the two jets lose him because he goes supersonic. Right. Uh, and then we see Iron Man on the belly of one of the jets. And he's like, roll him off, roll him off. And he rolls him off. And then he ends up tearing the jet. You know, the guy. Yeah. Going through the wing. Exactly. The guy uh, ejects. His parachute doesn't work. So Iron Man you know, at his own risk flies down, punches the thing to make the parachute come out. Right. The guy is safely there. And then Rhodes is like, how am I supposed to sell this off? And he's like, tell him it's a training exercise. exercise." And he goes, you want me to tell them? And then it cuts to him. Like, you know, at a press conference, we had an unfortunate training. exercise. We had an unfortunate training exercise. (laughs) It's it's great. It's fantastic. So we start seeing a little bit more of a build between, you know, uh, Rhodey and, and Stark, which is really neat. So then we get to the scene where Pepper catches Tony taking the suit off, right? Jarvis is taking it off. He's having a difficult time. Tony's, like, complaining. It's which pinching was, him. Which always cool, like, in that first movie. I forgot that they just have, like, the suit literally build around him. It's so... Because you get so used to just seeing it, like, basically materialize that's true, that's onto That's true. Tony. Like, we, we are... We're it kinda, was really cumbersome in that first movie for him to put this suit on. Exactly. We're, we're kind of numb now to seeing Tony kind of go in and out of a suit, right? Yeah. But, like, the first couple times you see that in Iron Man 1, 2, and 3... It's it's done in such great detail. Yeah, like and you see like the ribs and like you see everything. you see everything connect and then yeah. like tighten up and like 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 fasten really neatly. I will say though, like watching this on Blu-ray, it was very obvious to see like the the CG portion versus like the the real life. Portion oh yeah, of his head, like, you know, um, we, we weren't quite there yet. We were not quite there yet. But anyway, so Pepper Potts catches him getting out of the suit, and this is where we see a really neat Easter egg on one of the lab tables behind Tony is actually Cap's shield being assembled. Yeah, just like there. Just there. Like, just and there. And it's not in the trailers. They actually managed to take that out of the trailers. It's in the movie. 
I don't know where this fits in though, like timeline wise, because like, why would cap shield be there? You know, I don't know. I, I, I don't think they were expecting it to go further than. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, it was literally just, it was probably just an Easter egg. It probably was. I don't think my theory is that I, I don't think they were expecting to do a full Avengers roster. I think they just threw that, you know, uh, the, the, the very obvious, you know, after credit scene, which we'll talk about later in there. Right. Um, just to just to entice people to see how it works, you know, so I don't think they were thinking of continuity when they threw in Cap's well, They also probably figured that they would get like a second Iron Man movie before they got anything else. I exactly. would bet. Yeah. So anyway, so, you know, Pepper's like, you know, what are you doing? You know, and, and then this is when Tony reveals his plan. He's like, this is the mission. Like, I have to fix my legacy. I have to fix what I've done in the past. This is my second chance. He says, I need you to get information off my computer at work. Obadiah, you know, was watching everything like a hawk. Here's like this ghost drive kind of deal, you know, that'll download everything. She refuses at first. And then he's like, this is, this is, you know, I have to fix this. And she sees like this change in Tony. Right. And he's like, please, you know, I can't, I can't like lose you too. I've lost you know, control of my company. I've lost, you know, control of my life. You know, and this is how I can fix things. And then she's like, you know, if you're all I have too, know that, you know, so she eventually agrees, takes the drive. She goes into Tony's office. We have a really tense, like quasi espionage scene where she starts like, you know, loading the ghost drive on his computer. We see all the, the sales for all the Jericho missiles. We see the, we start seeing the plans for, um, uh, or wait, am I skipping the part here? Let's see. I don't think so. Oh no, I am. I am. So, after after Pepper um, catches him taking all the suit off, we actually have to go back though. Obadiah meets with the terrorists. Oh yeah, I can. Yeah, you're right. And he uh, he t- he takes the remnants of the MK1 suit is, by this force. Is, this is when you realize that he's becoming Iron Man. Yeah. So he takes the he takes the remnants of the MK1 suit by force. Uh, he uses a sound paralyzing device to like paralyze the terrorists. Right. Like, yeah. And like kills them off. To, like yeah. That he's got that tech. Yeah. And alluding that he's got that, and so kills him off. And then we get to, you know, Tony wanting Pepper to do some espionage. So then, you know, Pepper discovers the Ironmonger blueprints in, like, a, you know, Lab 16 or whatever, which is under the arc reactor. Yeah. She sees that Obadiah is working on something. Obadiah comes in and he's like, what are we going to do about this? You know? You're getting, like, way too close. Yeah, way too close. <laughs> Pepper manages to escape, but then Obadiah knows something's up. He sees that she's got the files and he's going to chase after her. But then this is when Agent Coulson, you know, appears there and he's like did you forget about our meeting and you know pepper of course is like uh no i didn't i'm gonna give you the meeting of your life well let's go right now you know and obadiah looks down and sees that you know she's walking off and colson gives her that like brief bit of immunity which is really great uh and this is where you start seeing the usefulness of colson right yeah so then you know after that we see obadiah go down to the arc reactor and the scientists are like the tech isn't here yet and I love the best damn line, line in ever. the entire movie <laughs> i've got it down here you know to a t Tony Stark was able to build this in a cave with a box of scraps. <laughs> it's great. It's just like it's out of nowhere. Like yeah. and like yet again, Jeff. Bridges They're like, we can't build this. Is a giant man, yeah. and the time this is so tiny, it's great. And he's like, well, I'm not Tony Stark, you know. Uh, and this is a great scene. He's like, how the hell, like, was Tony Stark able to build this in a damn cave? And, like, we can't do this here, like, yeah. at Stark Industries. We cut back to Tony's place, uh, and then we, we see Obadiah, like, paralyze Tony with the sound paralyzing yeah. thing, right? And this was a really intense scene. 
I didn't really think about much when I first saw the movie, and, and now retrospectively looking at it, this is really interesting. He uses the sound paralyzer, you know, with Tony. He takes this special like drill, like just ultimate betrayal. Yeah, he's like he's like Tony, Tony, Tony. He's just like you'll never see, you know, like everything come out of fruition because you know I'm gonna take your arc reactor. Takes it out of his chest, right? And what's really neat is Jeff Bridges sits down uh, next to him, right? And this is where Jeff Bridges' acting is like so good. Holds up what is like respectively Tony Stark's own heart and shows it to him. Yeah. On the couch. <laughs> he's like And like Tony and, is literally dying. And he's, he's like paralyzed and he's dying and he's like, This is your legacy. He's like holding the dude's own heart and he's like, This is your legacy. I'm taking it. I'm gonna use it for my own twisted gains, you know. And then he walks off. Well, eventually Tony becomes unparalyzed, stumbles his way down to the workshop. And is trying to figure out like how to how to fix it, and then he sees like his first arc reactor in that glass case, you know, that Pepper Potts gave it to him earlier. Tries to reach it and he can't. And this is where we get a nice little comedic bit where the extinguisher robot picks up the Pepper, you know, picks up the gift from Pepper Potts and hands it to him. And he's like, "Thanks." And then he smashes it, you know. Yeah. And so then Rhodes finds Tony. Tony's on the floor, flips him over. He manages to have the old arc reactor in his chest, you know. Pepper is with Coulson. They're gonna arrest Obadiah at Stark Industries, right? And this is where this is really neat. So Coulson, like, the door's locked, you know, and, and Coulson's like, I got it. And he puts a little thing on there, and Pepper's like, oh, is that going to unlock the door or whatever? And he's like, you might want to stand back. And he just turns around, <laughs> folds his hands in front of him like it's, like, average business, no big deal. <clears throat> Boom, door blows up. And this is where, again, like, it adds to the the cool mythos of Agent Coulson, right? Yeah. And so they go in there. Uh, they are, are, like, snooping around and everything, and then uh, she sees the M- Pepper Potts sees the MK1 suit, and she's like, I thought this would have been bigger. And you're thinking, oh, well, you know, I thought it would have been bigger, too. And then all of a sudden you start seeing, like, chains, and you see darkness. And so going back again to, like, that, that, that callback to that first, when we first see the MK1 suit, right? We're using darkness and fear, right? Except now it's, like, even more appropriate because this is the villain for the movie, right? Yeah. And then all of a sudden it's just, the Ironmonger suit comes to life and it's this humongous like monstrosity, you know, like this terrible version of the MK1 suit. And so Pepper and Coulson are like running away. So then of course, Tony realizes something's up. He's going to go confront Obadiah and uh, he hops in his suit, right? Rhodes looks at it. He's like, damn, that's like the coolest thing ever. What can I do to help? And Tony's like, keep the skies clear for me. He flies out of his house. And this is where we get that little callback to War Machine, you know. Yeah. Rhodes looks at the MK2 suit and he goes, next time. Next time, baby. But not for you. Not, yeah, not now. We learn that, like, as he's flying, we learn that Tony Tony's old arc reactor can't power the suit for long. Yeah. Um, it's got, I think he said it's like at 48% for the suit. Because remember, his old arc reactor wasn't meant to power sustained flight. It was just supposed to power the old MK1 suit. Yeah. Right? You know, Jarvis says, you only got so much power. He goes in, he goes into Stark Industries, he confronts Ironmonger, and this is where we have a really cool, I know a lot of this is CGI and and fake, but it's really interesting choreography. So uh, they start wrestling with each other, they manage to like throw each other into traffic, right? And then the Ironmonger picks up this like minivan with a soccer mom, he's going to throw it, you know, and then Tony like manages to take him out from under the van, the van lands down on, you know, on the ground. Tony's like, are you okay or whatever? He's on the hood. And the soccer mom just, like, pushes the pedal yeah, to the just, belt, runs him over. Like, runs over Iron Man. This minivan runs over Iron Man. And, like, the pure irony, the the the, the, the like, the comedy, the physical comedy is hilarious. The, the Iron Mugger would pick it up, and the, yeah. it's enough to just run Tony over. Yeah, and, and it's so funny, because he's like, lady, what's wrong with you, you know? And then we get, you know, he gets back up. He runs towards Ironmonger. Ironmonger takes a bike that is still running, just snatches it out of the street, throws the dude that's driving it off of it, 
picks it up and throws it at Tony, right? And Tony, like, like is launched back into this bus. And then the Ironmonger starts showing off his pure, like, firepower, blowing up this bus with Tony in it. We get some more, like, blows coming. To, we're trading blows, essentially. And we're, sh- we're seeing that Ironmonger is, like, this huge, not as agile, not as elegant version. It's clumsy. It is clumsy, but it, well, what it makes up for in clumsiness, it has in pure raw power, yeah. right? Um, and so we see that he is definitely a threat to Iron Man, right? Well, then Iron Man starts flying, and then uh, he's like, ah, well, I've made upgrades myself. And we see, oh, snap, Iron Monger can fly now, But it too. just takes him, like, a minute to get up. It does. <laughs> it's, it's really clumsy, right? It's yeah. awkward. So then you see the scene where um, Tony makes the connection. He's like, okay. Uh, I'm gonna go like fly up, right? Because his suit is, you know, retrofitted to withstand the ice. Yeah, so right? he won't ice over. He won't ice over. So he flies on up. Uh, Ironmonger grabs him by the leg, you know, and then he looks down. He gives him that nice line. He's like, "What'd you do about the icing problem?" And then Obadiah's like, "Icing problem?" And he's like, "Yeah, you might want to work on that." And then that's when the Ironmonger suit shuts off, plummets down to back to Earth. You know, Iron Man is at two percent power. You know, he comes back down. We think that's gonna be the end of it. I thought that was gonna be the end of it, right? Yeah. And I kind of. I kind of feel like it should have been because we get to this next part and it's, it's a little storytelling wise is a little clunky. Oh, just, I'm okay. Well, why do you think it's clunky? Well, okay. So let me, let me kind of lay out the events first and I'll tell you why it's clunky. So we think it's the end. Ironmonger starts to squeeze Tony out of a suit, crushing him like a tin can. Uh, Tony uses his flares to blind him and run. He guides Pepper Potts into over, overloading the, the humongous arc reactor yeah, like below to, them to electric to, to blow up Ironmonger. Tony manages to get around uh, Obadiah's suit. He blinds the Ironmonger suit by pulling out a couple of wires. So Obadiah yeah. opens up his suit, right? He's he's in his suit, but you can see his head. And then Tony, of course, is helmetless, right? And then Ironmonger picks up that Iron Man helmet, crushes it in his hand. You know, the, it's these two men. They're really similar to each other, you know. And, and uh, this part I liked. They, you know, it's really similar to each other. They're, 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 their helmets are gone. They're being their base almost naked selves with each other right but like the fact that if you look at it it's it's shot kind of weird he hits iron man iron man's over on top of the arc reactor he's like pepper you know turn it on and she's like you'll die and he's like turn it on you know and he's falling and he's like held on by one arm and to me the way it was shot it looks like iron man gets pepper turns on the arc reactor right to blow up uh iron monger it looks like iron man got the brunt of the blow and it looks like Ironmonger wasn't even close by. Oh, like I didn't really. I guess I didn't pay that much attention to and the then, scene. And then the arc, the arc reactor activates. Iron Man blows you know out of the way, right? He falls over to the side, and Ironmonger now is like somehow on the edge of the ring, right? And yeah. that blows up the suit, and then of course causes you know Obadiah to die. And I thought that was. I thought it would have been funnier to end it with him icing over and plummeting to his death, right? Yeah, I like mean, he, because it would he, because Obadiah would have had his own Icarus moment. Yeah, I mean, I, I get where you're coming from. Like, I, mean, I guess this is just to give Pepper Potts her moment because fair, like she does, like pretty much save Tony in almost every movie. And that, and that, and that's a very fair point. It shows that Pepper Potts isn't a damsel in distress. She's not a useless, you know, female character, which we're used to seeing in yeah. a lot of comic book movies. We get to. You know, Tony Stark, he's, he's in a broken suit. He's on he's on the, the roof of one of his buildings, you know, fades out, fades back in, and we see Tony is prepping for another press conference. He's kind of like, you know, he's got bandages on his yeah. face and everything. Coulson hands him an alibi. He's like, stick to the cards. This is what we've made. You know, we've made a bunch of fake documents. And then they're like, well, what about Obadiah? And he's like, oh, well, he was on a vacation. You know, the security or the safety for those private jets is kind of flaky. Yeah. You know, good way of doing it. 
And then, then we have this really nice callback to the comics. Tony Stark is like, I hate this. I have to say that Iron Man's my bodyguard. Like, what is up with that? Because in the comics, that's how Tony Stark at first kept his uh, identity secret. secret. Yeah. yeah, Tony Stark is like, oh, I'm I couldn't be a superhero. I'm too busy being rich and a jerk. But yeah. Iron Man's my bodyguard, which you know makes me even more of a jerk. And it turns out like he is Iron Man. You know, he meets with Pepper Potts one more time. He says, you know, I still remember that moment. And she goes all romantic, like, oh, that moment you mean where we danced, and then you left me. You know. <laughs> and so again, it's this weird angle like i see like i get that they're trying to make it a romance that we don't normally see in comic book movies right because we always see a damsel we always see like the girl next door for all these superhero films right so we make pepper Potts kind of like unattainable in a romantic way right and i i appreciate that it's just weird that we keep seeing them like get to that edge of being on a relationship and then go back and then get to the edge and then go back right like it doesn't develop anywhere in the movie uh, there's no, there's no definite, we're not dating, we are dating, right? Which is weird at first, but then, you know, now that we have like three Iron Man movies, two Avenger, or three Avenger movies, you know, it, it makes sense because yeah. we see their relationship evolve over time. But had this been just one Avenger movie, or excuse me, one Iron Man movie, this would have been kind of weird. Yeah, I mean, like, it, it would have, like, there's no reconciliation to the arc. Absolutely, absolutely. So... He goes out to this press conference, and what was really, really neat about this, so the, everyone, uh, you know, if you've seen Iron Man, you know what happens at this press conference, we'll talk about it here in a second, but all the extras that were sent to the press conference for that scene, right, to keep things kind of secret about, like, the actual plot of the movie, the directors and all the, all the producers and everything, they told those extras that it was actually a dream sequence oh. when they were filming it. Okay. They said, don't worry, this isn't actually part of, like, the this isn't what happens in the movie, he's dreaming this. So... Tony gets up there and he's all like, Hey, uh, you know what happened? You, you guys know what happens when I improvise. So I'm going to stick to the cards this time. So he try and you know, he says he's not going to be taking any questions. Uh, and again, that one reporter, she's there and she's like, do you really expect us to believe that, you know, you have a, a bodyguard flying around or whatever. And he's just like, he goes, I'm not a hero. Like, of course, like wh- wh- why would you, you know? And she goes, well, I didn't call you a hero. And he goes, well, of course. Yeah. I'm, I'm definitely not absolutely not a hero. And then he just, you kind of see that like, look in his face there's no there's not a build to it he just immediately he's just like screw it and then he goes you know what and he throws his cards away and he's like i am iron man and then it just cuts to the credits yeah and it's like the greatest thing ever because the biggest trope in all these superhero movies that we have seen is secret identities and then we just see tony stark just throw that trope out the window and end the movie right there and that was probably the best way to end this movie Looking back at this film now, Cody, is it still one of your favorite yeah. Marvel movies? Um, is it let's is it within your top five? I, I yeah, I, I think it's still definitely in my top five. Like, cause just I just because it's still like such a well put together movie. Like, there's, it really is. There's not a lot wrong with it. Like, I mean, and the things that are wrong with it are just like nitpicky little little things where you can just be like, well, that's weird. Absolutely. Like, why they do it's, it that it's way? All, like, it's all minuscule. It, it is. It's really representative of the time, right? Because we, because you have to remember, like you know, I think at one point we had like three superhero movies in a year, right? Yeah. But they were not related to each other. And before that, we were getting one to two superhero movies a year, maybe. Exactly. Uh, or maybe every other year. And so it was really representative of that the way the market was at the time, the way we were absorbing. It, yeah, content it, it wasn't time. in demand. Exactly. And so now, like, Iron Man has like paved the way for like hey 
superhero stories can be really entertaining. They can be approachable, and that's the big thing. They can be approachable to everyone, even non-comic book reading fans, right? And we can even take characters that no one cares about, or some people believe that don't exist, (laughs) right? Uh, Like Iron Man, and make these great stories out of. And so this is why I think Iron Man is always going to stay at the top uh, of my Marvel Cinematic Universe list. I'm always going to think Iron Man is the best film. It's 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 its own self-contained adventure. It's its own self self-contained story. It does leave loose threads, of course, right? You know, but a lot of movies do that, you know. Yeah. But that's you know that's for a room of growth. It's it's you could still have like a, a like a complete story without you know with even ignoring all those you know loose threads. It's just great. I I, I I nerd out every time I see Iron Man on TV. Like, you know, I, it's been a while since I've watched it from start to finish. And so last night was the first time I watched it from start to finish in a couple of years. But I, anytime like someone's flipping through the channels or something, if I'm over at my grandparents' place or if I'm at a friend's house and Iron Man pops out, I'm like, whoa, and I always want to see like where yeah, they're Yeah, because you want to, like, like, it's just a good movie. It's like, a good movie to relive. It's a good movie to, 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 to have fun with. I'm just so glad that we, we got this film. So let's go ahead and talk about just a few little Easter egg things here before we wrap up. So one thing I thought was really interesting. Do you remember right before the press conference at the end, he's reading the newspaper and it says, who is Iron Man on the newspaper? Yeah. So that picture on that newspaper, that was actually taken by someone who was hiding in the bushes and filming them, uh, filming the movie before the movie oh, was wow, released. So it was like a real life paparazzi. It was. And they managed to take that f- footage and put it on the internet before the film was released. And so I guess John Favreau, like, as a, like, uh, like, okay, so you did that. So I'm going to throw that into the movie. So they literally put that on the cover of that newspaper in that scene. That's actually I, really cool. I didn't know that. It was, I thought that was really neat. We, you know, that, that was really neat. I'm trying to think of, I, we've actually kind of covered all my little tidbits here. Uh, da, 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 da. Yeah, so we have. Okay, cool. Well, it's, it, like, oh, that's the it thing, work, It works we're, well, though. We've tra- we're so trained at this point when we're watching these movies to like see the little bits and pieces that they put in there. That's true. And it's and it's literally from ten years of watching these movies. It's very true. Like I uh like I'm just outside of this one. I remember like when I because Man of Steel comes out a little bit after. Yeah, uh, it does. This. Yeah. And like I remember sitting with one of my high school friends watching the movie. He's a big Superman fan, and just like pointing out little things that he didn't even notice. Really, but like yeah, like like the Lex Corp logo and yeah, like the yeah. Wayne uh, tat, like the Wayne Industries satellite. Yeah, in the yeah, movie. yeah, you know, like like little things like that. But like, I think it's literally because like that's how we watch these movies now. We're always looking for the little bits. Yeah, like just a little bit more. We're just like, oh, you're like, there's other things in this universe. Are they gonna like yeah include it? Yeah. So let's go ahead and talk about the the famous after credit scene, Samuel L. Jackson, right? So this was really interesting. They shot this scene with a skeleton crew. Yeah. They they wanted to keep this scene as as secret as possible. In early review copies of Iron Man, the it wasn't scene, even in it. It wasn't even in it, right? And I remember, all I remember hearing was that you need to stay till after the credits. Uh, like no one told me what it was. No one told me like what the scene was, right? They just said, oh, there's this really cool thing at the end of Iron Man. Just check it out. So I told my grandparents that, right? So we're sitting there, and we're, like, rocking out to Black Sabbath's Iron Man, you yeah. know, during that, like, little first little bit of the credits. And, and you're probably one of the only people still left in the auditorium. Exactly, yeah. It was just, it was literally, like, my grandparents, uh, our Korean exchange student Gerard, and myself, and maybe, like, three other people. Yeah. Everyone else got up and left. And we're watching, and, like, Gerard is, like, completely nerding out. He's, like, he's talking about, like, 
he loves all the tech in the movie. I'm talking about how I love how Iron Man's on the big screen and, you know, my my crazy conspiracy theory from from, <laughs> you know, first grade, second grade is proven true. Iron Man is an actual character, you know. We get to Iron Man, or excuse me, Tony Stark, whatever. Tony comes yeah. back into his house and uh, you hear kind of an alarm going off and then he's like Jarvis and then Jarvis is like, "Hi, Mr. Stark." Wow, wow, wow. And then you just hear, you know, Samuel L. Jackson, I am Iron Man. He goes, you think you're the only superhero? And he's like, you don't even know what you're a part of. And then, you know, you know, Tony Stark's like, who are you? We turn around, we see Samuel L. Jackson with the eye patch, the scarring and everything. So he's Ultimate Universe, you know, Nick Fury. He says, I'm Nick Fury and I'm the head of S.H.I.E.L.D. And I'm here to talk to you about the Avengers Initiative. Bam. Yeah. There was so much in there. Like. In such a little, small bit of dialogue 30 second scene there's there i mean like this is when it was like it's still fun to speculate about comic book movies but the problem is that you know the internet oversaturates everything now like any any little tidbit about a movie any little bit of any casting any like it's immediately it's immediately there right whereas this was like that peak golden age of like we could just go wild with our speculations we could sit there and we could craft crazy because like facebook is only four years old twitter doesn't exist yet yeah and 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 comic book movies weren't as crazily covered there was no real i I don't know if well maybe comicbookmovie.com was out yet but like still there wasn't as much coverage right um and so this was like crazy i went back to school like later that week it was on the weekend i think when we saw iron man i go in there and i got to see you know what i had like one whole friend who knew anything about superheroes at the time yeah. right uh superheroes were kind of played down it was things that were more popular at the time were like video games and anime and manga and stuff like that i had one friend that knew about superheroes and i'm like did you see iron man he's like yes and i was like Avengers initiative, right? And he's like, right? And so, like, we're sitting there, like, we're wondering who's going to, like, show up, if we're going to have, like, movies about <laughs> this. Like, Is Wolverine going to be in it? Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Literally. Well, because, again, we weren't paying attention to who owned the rights. Yeah, to, so you like, didn't realize that, that was, like, there was any it, sort of, like, contention to these Exactly, characters. exactly. This was, this was great. It was, I, I, I love that the Marvel after credit scene is now, like, a cultural phenomenon that we all stay for. Yeah, now. and, like, like no matter what movie it is, unless it's just a movie where you're absolutely certain there's nothing after it, like yeah, you'll stay. You'll stay, and I I enjoy that now, and and now I still I and there's still people that leave the movie before the credits are done, and I'm like, is this your first Marvel movie? Yeah, it's like, <laughs> like do you not understand? Like there's gonna be more. Or we're gonna see a thing. And I'm and I'm. It, so, it might be Howard the Duck, but it's gonna be a might, thing. It might be Howard the Duck. Yeah, I mean, I guess some people don't care, and that's fine. But I just it's 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 a nice little like thing that brings us all together as like comic book yeah. movie fans. We get to see this last little bit, right? This whatever it is, whatever cameo or or bit of lore or whatever. And I think that was genius. I think that was genius of Marvel Studios to keep it going because like it almost became like a little collectathon. It was like you you were collecting Stanley cameos, you were collecting end credit scenes, right? Yeah. And you were like, "Did you see the thing? Oh, I thought this might connect to this, or you know, I saw Stanley as this." You know, it's great. It was it's it's a great way to build a universe. But that's it. That's that's all I have to really, uh, at least in a small condensed version. That's all I have to say about Iron Man. We we've actually I was afraid this was gonna go over. I was afraid I was really gonna like go. Like, you you way thought too this was gonna be like two hours, didn't you? Well, I mean, like, and there's nothing wrong with two hour podcasts, right? But like, but I don't, the movie is two hours, yeah, exactly, right? So you could literally like play the play the movie and like, like be done with this podcast. 
Um, but yeah, I, I, I'm so, so glad Cody that you and I decided to get together and do this. Um, we got together to see uh, teen Titans go. And I remember, yeah, I mean, you had a, you had a good time. <laughs> I, I, I did. <laughs> I, I enjoyed myself thoroughly. Yeah. But I, I realized that I, you are someone that I enjoy talking about this medium with, because, you know, even though we have, sometimes polarizing views on aspect like like when i was working at atomic comics one of our local comic book stores and you came in and you wanted to rant to me about i think it was man of steel wasn't yeah it? like it was like i don't even know, know why it was man of steel because like man of steel had been out for a long time at that right, point like right. i think we were talking oh it was before batman versus superman uh, was about it was. to come out yeah and like i just talked about how much i hated man of steel like yeah. And, 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 you know, you were able to sit there and listen to my points about because I don't hate Man of Steel. And you were able to listen to my points about it. And I remember you going, these are all things I hadn't thought about, right? Yeah. But I, at the end of that conversation, I remember going, well, all the stuff you brought up were things I hadn't thought yeah. about, right? So, so it started making me more critical of Man of Steel. And then you started be, being more <laughs> lax with yeah. Man of Steel. So I think we even each other out really well. I'm always... I've got that that superhero syndrome. I'm really optimistic. I I see the best in everything, right? And I'm just waiting for everything to be like a massive clusterfuck. Exactly. And I love it when it's terrible, but like I hate it when they took something that didn't need to be terrible and they made it terrible. Exactly, exactly. We will be covering, of course, you know, comic book movies. We will be covering. I mean, like I, the world is our oyster at this point. We yeah, can, I mean, we, we can, could literally do every Marvel movie. We can do. We, we can do to. every Marvel movie. We can do every DC movie. We can. We can do. Shoot, we could even do Star Wars, comparing Star Wars comics to the movies. I mean, uh, crap, if we get bored, we can do uh, anime and manga because we like, can. We can do Dragon that, Ball. You know, I mean, that's that's a picture to a panel. It is. So I mean, we can we can do the medium is is very open ended and it leaves for a lot of great discussions. We could even start diving into the Netflix series, which is something I want to talk about. You know, talking about Daredevil and Jessica Jones and Luke Cage, and <clears throat> Iron Fist, and uh, you know, so, <laughs> what, what was that? <clears throat> Iron Fist. Uh, hey, look, as of this recording, we've got about three weeks ish, I think, till season two. And look, I, I'm optimistic. Hopes. I'm I'm optimistic because of Luke Cage season two because you know Danny Rand seems better. Anyway. Thank you all so much for tuning into this. Uh, we appreciate you joining us here on our inaugural Iron Man episode, which I think will be the title for this. Uh, I'm going to do inaugural a, Iron Man episode. I'm going to I'm going to do uh, alliteration. Uh, that was always a big. Uh, Is I always, that alliteration? <laughs> inaugural Iron Man. That, that those aren't all a words. I, inaugural starts with an I. Does it? Yes. Oh, I'm pretty sure. Oh God, did we have to do this right now? I, okay, I thought it was an A. Hold on, hold on, ladies and gentlemen. We're gonna we're gonna do a quick dictionary check here. <laughs> In, uh, yeah, inauguration starts with an I, so okay. inaugural starts. With, so it's alliteration. Inaugural. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. God. All right. Coming in here. I asking about my spelling. All right. Anyway, so. Well, I'll try to come up with snazzy t episode titles that are uh, all about alliteration because I'm a big Stanley nerd. Thank you guys so much for joining us here, you know, for uh, panel pictures. This has been uh, an absolute pleasure, Cody. I always enjoy talking about these kinds of things with you, and um, I think we we can start making the schedule maybe so viewers can kind of watch movies and then like listen to us talk about it, you know, uh, kind of in time with each other. We'll work on a schedule, uh, yeah, and we'll we'll see how that works. Um, we might, I'm pro, I'm thinking this one's going to start bi-weekly. This podcast might be bi-weekly. Um, we might do a couple episodes before I have to start back in the school year and teaching uh, at the university. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. I'll keep you guys updated. And uh, until next time, stay super, everyone. Woo. 
Woo. Woo. I don't know. Can't say bye like a normal human being. Excelsior. Oh, Jesus Christ. Goodbye.